It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. You're listening to Fox News Radio. I'm Ben Domenech. At the close of a year that has been uh, very eventful when it comes to world events, politics, and the like, I wanted to take a bit of a moment to look back at some of the cultural trends, uh, the things that we don't often talk about, but are also things that are a lot more important in the great scheme of things in terms of directing the future of the country and organizing the way that people think about the world. I want to go through the top 10 things that I think uh, really mattered when it comes to the cultural space in 2023. Uh, But first, let's uh, deal with some honorable mentions. First, the NIL era in sports and ESPN going hard into the gambling space. I think that we forget how much uh, this was something that changed overnight. It's something that uh, was really avoided intentionally by the network's Anything having to do with gambling was left out of the conversation, uh, pushed aside, uh, something that really was left to Brent Musburger and Al Michaels to make various nods to. Uh, But now it's right at the center of sports. It's being advertised when it comes to uh, whether you watch the Red Zone Network, the NFL Network, ESPN or the like. Um, They are all uh, branded with uh, various associations and affiliations with sports betting apps. That's something that's only going to continue to increase in the wake of a Supreme Court's decision that allowed states to make determinations about whether they would allow such gambling to take place. And it's also going to raise a lot of questions about various sports and the decisions that are made at the end of games and uh, that, you know, could decide uh, basically whether you hit the over or, or uh, you know, end up in the under or if you, uh, you know, have an outcome that is diametrically opposed. We just saw the fact that this played out in the Detroit Lions and Dallas Cowboys game just the other night. And then, of course, uh, the NIL era is obviously going to change a lot of things regarding college football, uh, where various players go, how they are treated more and more like pros in the making as opposed to uh, college uh, athletes uh, and uh, people who are going to be in some way prevented uh, from using their likenesses uh, to gain not just money for their families, but uh, to accrue a certain degree of celebrity. You know, it's one thing to think about this in in terms of the potential going forward, but I think that what you're going to see is more and more athletes who basically decide to make their career a four-year career in college, uh, not necessarily uh, hoping to even make the pros, given the limitations of their physical ability or their skill. Uh, It's something that I think is going to change a lot of things regarding college football. You know, there's all sorts of quarterbacks who could be reliable third stringers in the NFL, uh, but could go off in the right environment and with the right offense uh, in an NIL era that could allow them to make uh, to turn that into a lot of money uh, for them and for their families. I think uh, another honorable mention has to be the upheaval surrounding X. Uh, Twitter, obviously, was something that you know was at the center of the conversation a few years ago. It seems to me to have become less relevant in the post-Trump banning era. Uh, Jack Dorsey uh, having left and Elon Musk having taken over the place, it certainly you know has changed the way that a lot of people 
uh, you know, view the app and use it. Uh, they, you know, may decry it as being a source now for misinformation, disinformation, and the like, you know, uh, government crackdowns, journalists leaving, etc. I certainly think that it matters, but I, I don't think that this actually rates in the top 10 because I don't think that X or Twitter is as important as journalists and media types think it is. Uh, I think it drives the way that they may view the world, but not the way that average people do. And then I would say uh, TikTok. Uh, TikTok absolutely had uh, an impact in 2023 because it survived the kind of attacks that it was receiving from a number of different uh, key uh, sources. Uh, Democrats and Republicans started the year pretty much unanimously opposed to TikTok, but the disagreements about what that opposition meant were significant. Uh, Republicans uh, generally wanted to ban TikTok entirely. Uh, Democrats, certainly those on Capitol Hill, were open to forcing them to make a sale. Uh, but at the end of the day, TikTok, thanks to a massive lobbying campaign, enormous amounts of money spent, uh, influence peddling uh, of uh, a variety that we rarely see uh, on the level of, of uh, you know tech's involvement in D.C., uh, ended up in a space where it, you know, they basically survived what they thought might have been a real threat uh, from a Republican House uh, that might have forced the issue on Democrats. Now, it's not over. I think it still remains to be seen whether this is something that comes up, and it particularly could come up within an election year as being a hot-button issue. But when the White House basically decided to make peace with TikTok, uh, lean into TikTok, in fact, uh, then it sent a message to Democrats that they really ought not uh, go down the road of fighting it. And for the next generation of Democrats who are even more beholden to China, uh, Gavin Newsom being China's favorite governor, basically, in America, um, that's something that I think is now going to become less of a bipartisan issue. One thing to keep in mind is uh, something like, how often do you think about the Roman Empire, a meme that I think a lot of people, uh, you know, it took up within 2023. That started on TikTok. So it definitely has an effect in terms of driving the conversation. Obviously, the number one in terms of uh, the influence in uh, in America in 2023, culturally, has to be considered the presence, the ubiquitous presence of Taylor Swift. Uh, the era's uh, tour, which blew everything away in terms of you know, people coming out to attend it, the ticket prices, the uh, you know a movie which uh, you know obviously almost made as much as the Michael Jackson movie, though uh, she didn't have to uh, pass away in order to uh, have that kind of uh, prestige uh, event, was something that I think really brought out how significant she is in an era in which artists are generally considered uh, to be pretty ephemeral and passing. Uh, and I think that this is something that you know, whether you like Taylor Swift or not, whether you like her music or not, it just has to be acknowledged uh, that in an era in which, you know, a lot of other artists are viewed as corporate properties who only uh, engage uh, in corporate crafted music, she's someone who is pretty much uniquely, you know, an, an individual and, and has uh, her own creative background in terms of the uh, writing and in terms of her approach. And so I think that's something that is worthy of note. And regardless of what you think of her politics or her influence, you know, on the culture, regardless of what you think of her presence within the, uh, the shots at NFL stadiums uh, as she cheers on Travis Kelsey, I do think that it's impossible to remember 2023 without 
remembering the constant presence of Taylor Swift uh, and how much she dominated the attention of people. She's definitely a worthy selection uh, for Times Person of the Year, even though that's obviously a craven bid uh, to sell magazines. I think we also have to remember the phenomenon of Barbenheimer. It's something that's so weird. It's an odd, you know, uh, connection uh, that was made between the, you know, one of the last directorial auteurs in uh, Christopher Nolan and, you know, his nuclear focused, uh, you know, very dark and intellectual uh, approach to looking at the figure of Oppenheimer uh, compared to Greta Gerwig's, you know, very impressive, I would say, uh, take on uh, a Mattel property. You had this weird confluence there that obviously uh, boosted both movies. You had more men uh, going to see Barbie probably because of it, and you had uh, more women uh, going to see Oppenheimer just to be able to uh, say that they checked the box. And, and that is such a weird thing, but it also got people to go back to movie theaters, which is, you know, itself an, an impressive achievement in an era in which so many people were tuning out the movies and, uh, you know, have decided to uh, basically watch everything at home or on their phones and that that's perfectly fine. These were two movies that people decided that they wanted to see in theaters together as an actual event. And I think we have to remember 2023 for that. Next, I think we have to acknowledge, you know, one of the reasons that the American audience is so uh, difficult to reach is because they've tuned out uh, the thing that has been most dominant within the theater space for so many years now, namely the superhero genre. You saw the failures of The Flash, of Marvels, of Aquaman. You saw basically a, a coherent case being made that this was the end of the superhero era uh, in terms of its, uh, maybe not in terms of the genre, but certainly in terms of its dominance uh, within the theater space. And that's something that I think, you know, can be made as an honest point, but also is somewhat exaggerated. Here's what I wrote uh, when we were rounding up the films of the year over at The Spectator. There are certain ideas taken as obvious statements of fact about current trends in Hollywood, above all, that everyone's tired of superhero movies. They're bland dreck with predictable twists, repetitive soundtracks, and budget CGI that hasn't been updated in a decade. The misguided push for representation has become a poor substitute for the weakness of plots. The more diverse the characters, the weaker the story. The more it leans on a message as monotonous as a corporate DEI session. And if there's one crutch audiences are particularly tired of, it's the multiverse trope, where Easter eggs for fans are used to fill time in between other forms of product placement. Yet, somehow, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the follow-up to 2018's monumentally successful Into the Spider-Verse, manages to dodge all of these pitfalls. It is visually incredible, emotionally mature, and even ends with a cliffhanger that feels surprising and earned. In a post-Avengers era where Marvel movies feel so uninspired, Sony and the Lord and Miller team keep defying the odds with the web slinger, showing what comic book movies that actually care about art, story, and characters can achieve. So is the superhero era ending? I think it probably is, but I also think that that era of dominance was something that is an exception and not the rule generally. Uh, and we'll see superhero movies that are the exception to the rule, I think, going forward. 
Another major story within the cultural space was Netflix's resurgence. It's easy to forget that Netflix uh, had a number of, of really bad quarters in terms of uh, the way people viewed it as uh, something that was, you know, perhaps on the on the downslide, uh, given the fact that there were all these other entities getting into the streaming wars uh, and that they were going to be, you know, armed with an enormous amount of IP uh, from their libraries that Netflix simply couldn't compete with. The idea was that they were going to be able to really catch up with Netflix very fast. And so Wall Street and others seemed to sour a little bit on uh, the OG streamer. But Netflix had a resurgence in 2023 that was driven by a number of different factors. One, of course, was this completely random obsession with the show Suits, which is not a good show and uh, I don't like it. Uh, but Americans apparently do, and they watched quite a lot of it. Uh, Netflix also cracked down on passwords uh, being shared across uh, multiple different family members without, with barely a peep from uh, people who were, you know, upset about it. There was a just sort of uh, glowering admission that, well, you know, I've been stealing this for long enough. I guess I ought to pay for it. Uh, and that's something that I think uh, is a testament to their to their strength. And the other thing that I think. Uh, Netflix had going for it uh, is that it actually had some really good shows this year. One in particular that I would cite for you um, is the fall of the house of Usher, which continues uh, this, this chain of creations from the same ensemble team that has done uh, haunting of Hill house and others uh, before uh, it's an excellent uh, depiction that is basically influenced by Edgar Allan Poe stories, but not trapped by their uh, kind of strictures. Uh, and it's something that I certainly recommend as being a bingeable show, but really overall, I think that what Netflix proved is that, the fact that they are only about streaming as opposed to all these other streamers, you know, Disney being about theme parks, Apple being about selling phones, it gives them the ability to really focus on it and to make decisions uh, that are not influenced necessarily by other factors. Uh, you know, if you want to look at a comparison Think about the total failure of Amazon's Citadel show, which was uh, hyped up by them, uh, a Russo Brothers creation that was supposed to be this globe-spanning kind of uh, you know phenomenon, uh, and no one really found it of interest. So I, I just think you know there are a lot of other uh, entities that are getting into streaming uh, are, and this is not an original point; others have made this. Uh, they're basically trying to make up for the vast uh, advantages that Netflix has uh, by being in this game for so long and understanding it so much better than they do. More of the Ben Dominish podcast right after this. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Another uh, interesting f cultural moment uh, was Disney bending its knee to its critics. And you can read this in certain uh, different ways. You can view it as just kind of a craven attempt to win people back. You can view it as an admission of something that was true. But basically, Bob Iger closed out the year by acknowledging that Disney uh, maybe had gotten a bit too woke, that it maybe had lost its connection with its audience, and that that was something they would need to look at going forward. It's certainly something that I think, you know, is surprising in the sense that Disney has resisted so much of that for so long. 
I certainly think that uh, elements like the criticism contained within the satirical South Park episode, which uh, lambasted Kathleen Kennedy, you know, has to be part of this. But, uh, you know, also, of course, the failure or the decline of a number of its Star Wars related properties. And certainly, I think, you know, the failure of the Indiana Jones movie, uh, which I believe is is driven uh, primarily because of, of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's presence uh, within that context, is, is something that it, it speaks to uh, the disadvantages that Disney has in an environment where so many of the people who work within Disney uh, certainly share that ideology, share that, uh, you know, that very typical and predictable leftism uh, of the cultural variety. Uh, but they are trying to speak to a broad audience uh, that is very attuned, I think, now to the very to the signals that they can uh, give and to uh, the fact that there are a lot of things being shoehorned in to what they do. Uh, that simply don't connect their failure when it came to, you know, a movie like wish is part of this as well. Um, the, Disney just needs a real reset. And I don't know if, uh, what Iger is going to do in the coming year, but it certainly seems like, uh, they need a, a creative boost, uh, in order to get back to the kind of dominance that they had, uh, which I'm sure they can do given the amount of IP that they own. Another uh, obvious uh, uh, cultural story, and it's not just a media story, uh, is the collapse of CNN. And we're not just talking about ratings, so those ratings are terrible. Uh, I think that the Chris Licht uh, story written by Tim Alberta that led to his exit, uh, you know, perhaps uh, helped along the way by uh, certain other figures, is something that it, it was it has to be considered very significant culturally because... CNN has occupied uh, this uh, odd position for, for quite a while within the American media landscape. And uh, it's something that I think uh, has held on to its pomposity, uh, its authority. It's the idea that it dictates things uh, from a kind of centrist position uh, that is more lofty and that is more respectable than, uh, than others. That, that's just something that isn't true, obviously, but it's something that they've held on to for a long time. The fact that they experienced such a decline so rapidly uh, in uh, in such a clear way uh, is, I think, very telling about the current media landscape. And we'll see what happens with them going forward in 2024 as they attempt uh, to cover uh, this upcoming uh, uh, presidential cycle. Uh, we will see if they're, they're able to rebound at all or if this has basically been the beginning of the end uh, for CNN. And that's something that I think is is very much uh, more possible uh, than people give credit to. It, it's not like media entities uh, just get to last forever necessarily. Sometimes they die, and we might have seen the beginning of the end for CNN. The Hollywood writers' strike and fallout from it, I think, is definitely something that merits attention in 2023. Uh, the uh, strike obviously went longer than, uh, you know, it hit a lot of different historical marks uh, and and contained a lot more feuds than I think uh, people necessarily understand. It's, it's the kind of thing that I, I would be interested, having listened to a lot of podcasts and uh, read a bunch of essays about this, I would be interested in reading a book eventually about uh, what everything that played out. But one of the things that I think is a key takeaway from it is that Demands for more transparency within uh, the, the context of this strike uh, were things that led to a lot of hard 
honest uh, attention being paid to how much viewers are actually watching some of these things that cost an enormous amount of money uh, to make and produce. And while the writer's side of things, uh, you know, sort of has said that they won this uh, showdown, uh, I don't think that's actually the case. I don't think that it's actually that cut and dry. Um, and in fact, I think that one of the things that we're going to see uh, is writer's rooms continue to to shrink and not have the kind of creative power that these people would like. Uh, it's something that I think is, is just inevitable given the fact that viewers are more narrowly focused, uh, you know, in terms of their own priorities, you know, at the same time that uh, Amazon was having this failure, uh, with the Citadel side of things, uh, Reacher was their number one show for 2023, according to, uh, their own announcements. So that's something that I think is, is telling in terms of this, this is not the kind of show that Hollywood writers would necessarily want to write but it is the kind of show that viewers want to see. The death of TV's number one show at the hands of its star happened in 2023. Uh, I don't know how much you pay attention to this, but if you are a fan of Yellowstone, you know what I'm talking about. Kevin Costner got into a dispute with Taylor Sheridan, the show's creator, and, and obviously the, the, the key creator in the Paramount universe, which may itself be sold uh, in the coming uh, weeks, if, if reports are accurate, uh, potentially to Warner Brothers, and, and uh, we'll see how that shakes out. That's a, a very interesting story. Uh, but Costner basically wanted to leave the show for a number of different reasons. He felt that the creative side was was uh you know taking too long he wanted to engage more with his horizon project which is going to lead to two western films uh, that are supposed to come out uh here in the coming year we'll see how that does uh, it's it's a passion project for him something he's been working on for a while if you look at the cast list it has basically every person you could possibly imagine being in a western genre movie in it uh and uh we'll see you know whether that's something that actually turns out to be creative genius or if it's uh just you know uh pomposity and his own pride uh, about uh, about what he wanted to create there uh but costner wanted to to head to the exits uh and he became uh caught in a feud over the amount of time that he would have to spend on set he demanded a ton of money uh and uh, the outcome of this was that <laughs> essentially Taylor Sheridan announced uh, that he could go screw. And so because of that, uh, the fifth season, the second half of the fifth season of Yellowstone will be the last uh, uh, part of Yellowstone that exists. They'll have potentially a spinoff. Maybe we'll see. Uh, I'm sure that they probably will because there's just too much money on the table. Um, but, uh, you know, basically this, sh this show is not ending the way that, that people, thought it would necessarily end. And one thing to keep in mind here is that when it was originally announced as a show, the fact that Costner was a part of it was a big deal. Uh, you know, he was not, you know, a TV actor, uh, in his stature. And so, uh, you know, including him, uh, was significant, but it became an ensemble piece. And obviously the, the people who are central to it now uh, are not Costner. And so the, uh, you know, kind of writing around him or writing other characters more heavily was, I think, something that was probably a factor in him wanting to exit as well. So you rarely see a TV show that's at the top uh, just kind of end because a star uh, refuses to go along with what the creators want to do. Uh, but 
it's apparently going to happen. Uh, and so that's uh, that's something that bears watching, but it's also a, a big story coming out of, of 2023 and is itself, I think, a story about uh, the power of streaming to drive, you know, additional eyeballs, additional views uh, to uh, various properties, even after they've initially premiered. Uh, and then uh, I think that we shouldn't escape this year without uh, paying notice to kind of the contrast between outside groups uh, that have entered the media creation landscape uh, versus established players. And, and the contrast I would make is between the disastrous movie failures of Apple Obviously, you know, you know, the world's first trillion dollar company, uh, one that, you know, is uh, certainly interested in creating uh, very expensive, big budget, uh, you know, shows. Uh, it has had some some successes, uh, but this year had two uh, clear failures with uh, their investment in Killers of the Flower Moon uh, with uh, from Martin Scorsese, starring obviously Leo, Leo DiCaprio, uh, and then uh, Napoleon, which they backed uh, with uh, Ridley Scott directing Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, these are two very, you know, these are all kind of a talent, a list, uh, you know, uh, directors and, and actors and uh, people, you know, who certainly know how to make movies. And Apple is certainly a company that, you know, has a ton of money to play with within this space. Uh, but they really failed to connect with audiences or people didn't like them as much uh, as Apple uh, had hoped. The flip side of that being uh, the runaway success of Sound of Freedom, uh, which is obviously is a very interesting property, something that, you know, uh, captured the minds of a lot of, uh, Americans, particularly American churchgoers, uh, across the country, you know, their whole, uh, pay it forward, uh, ticket buying and et cetera, uh, is a major, uh, story, I think, uh, and, uh, and perhaps a model for future Kickstarter based, uh, approaches to making movies. Um, and then obviously you have the, the entry of, of somebody like the daily wire with their bent key projects, uh, into making more original content or to packaging it. Uh, together. I don't know if that's going to be successful. Uh, I've yet to see uh, their uh, their work really as being all that impressive. Um, but I do think that there is something there to the idea that small budget efforts that connect with an audience are going to become more and more appealing in an era when big budget efforts that don't connect with audiences uh, seem to be, you know, uh, dying out that, that, that essentially uh, there's no way that you can justify these things going forward, given the trend lines and given the performances that we've seen uh, at the box office and uh, with uh, various viewers who just aren't interested in content uh, that, you know, is, is in that space. They don't want the kind of things uh, that uh, Hollywood is push, pushing out and that these new attempts to enter into streaming are pushing out. Uh, they tend to gravitate more toward traditional types or formats, or they also, I think, you know, are just, you know, not interested in the pieces that are driven more by egotistical directors who think that they can uh, it, just you know, put anything on the screen and that people will watch it. The turgid, uh, lengthy flower, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is something that, you know, is the example of someone who has passed the point where they really are able to be edited in the same way that, you know, it's like late Stephen King, uh, where the books just run for 250 pages longer than they need to. Uh, and then finally, to close things out, 
I think 2023 really was the year where we can say that millennial nostalgia overtook boomer nostalgia. Now you can, you know, go back to, you know, maybe the year before and say that, you know, the Super Bowl and that kind of thing, you know, was, was uh, part of this, but I do really think that, you know, millennial nostalgia, uh, is something that is driving a lot of the elements in media today, uh, particularly for late nineties situations. I mean, you look at something as, uh, that is as popular, you know, among kids at this moment as this latest trolls movie, which is, uh, driven by the attention paid to uh, boy band phenomenons. Uh, you look at the attention paid to the Britney Spears, uh, you know, uh, bio, a bio that, you know, got so many, uh, different, uh, forms of attention. You look at the way, uh, that people are kind of returning to look back at the nineties, the late nineties and the early two thousands, uh, in terms of culture as being uh, a time, uh, worth, considering or reconsidering. Uh, and that's something that I think, you know, is itself a, a displacement. You have this new huge generation of people who have reached a point in their lives where they are nostalgic for a point in their past. Uh, and that's something that I think is going to be a driving force, not just this year, but within years to come. So with that, let's look forward to 2024, where we'll have plenty of time to talk about politics and uh, the different conflicts within it, uh, what's going on around the world. But these to me are some of the biggest trends in 2023 and they're worth considering. So with that, I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to Fox News Radio. We'll be back next week with more to dive back into the fray. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.